missing its pop strings on it last time we used it. So we'll get this string replaced. We did have a replacement, praise the Lord. But we did a pretty good job, acapello, guys. I'm just saying, we did a pretty good job. You guys filled it in. I appreciate it. That's the Lord, man. The Lord knew what we needed this morning. Maybe he was just ready to get to the word. I don't know. I don't know. I like singing and playing. That's something I enjoy doing. I've been doing it for a long time, but I do enjoy preaching too. But that's life, amen? We're pretty quiet this morning. That's life, amen? amen? There we go. There we are. And life doesn't slow down, not one bit. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> yeah. It doesn't slow down at all. It doesn't hardly give you a chance to catch your breath. I mean, from the mountaintops to the valleys, our lives are basically like this series of ups and downs, and like in between those moments, it's just like work and hardship and life and living, right? In between all this stuff, that's like literally, I, I told somebody once that uh, I think if we was to look at our life on a chart, we would have high points and low points, and we'd forget anything that was in the middle. Like that's the mundane of our life, really. So the mundane of our life, we have like no knowledge of. Like I remember I just did nothing on that day. No, you wouldn't remember that at all. You remember like your worst days, right? And then your best days. It's like somewhere in between there, right? Last we spoke on the gospel of Mark, we followed along uh, with Peter and James and John. And we witnessed Jesus be transfigured right before their eyes. They were amazed at what they saw to the point that they never wanted to leave that moment. They wanted to stay up on the mountain, uh, and I don't blame them. I don't blame them. You know, this past week, I spoke at First Baptist Kingsland, and, and I talked to them about this same very thing. It's, it's, it's a difficult thing to have this wonderful experience and this great moment where it's so good, Lord. I just want to stay here. I remember going to a conference. They called it Linger because they wanted to stay in the presence of God, and, and they wanted it to be called that. How can we stay in the presence of God? But the irony of that moment, as much as you want to stay there, uh, is that you don't get to. You're not made for staying there. You're made to keep going. And the, the luxury I have of the scriptures is I get to read ahead of the story. I know what's waiting for them down the mountain. Right? So we, when we linger, we really don't know, right? We don't know what's in our future. We don't know what tomorrow holds, right? We just want to sit in the now where the now is nice, but what's on the other side of tomorrow is the same thing that's on the downside of the mountain here, and it's ministry. Ministry awaits them down the mountain. Ministry isn't easy. And I don't say that with the thought that I'm the pastor and the pastor is the one who do ministry. Ministry is that, not that. It's Ministry is the work of Christ in the world. Yes, some of it happens in the church. But for the most part, hear me, ministry is happening every day and everywhere. More often outside of the church than even in the church. For Peter and for James and for John, you see, if they stay up on the mountain, there will be others that will never be set free. There will be others that will never believe in Jesus, and there will be others that will lose hope along the way. And so Jesus stifles that thought. You don't get to stay up there, and he begins to head back, and again, he begins to tote his friends along behind him, uh, his disciples. 
By the way, guys, if this isn't a picture of us, I don't know what is. I see us maybe probably a little bit more begrudged than the disciples because I, I think we would rather stay on the mountain than be reminded of the valley. Like, Lord, I don't even want to talk about the valley. Let's not even mention it, God. Can we just stay up here? But we've got to go down. Listen, you said the word down again. That's not good. That's not going to work for us, God. Right? We just want to stay up here where it's nice. I just want to stay up here, God, where I don't have to think about bills. I want to have to stay up here where I don't have to think about finances or what tomorrow holds. I just want to think about you and today. But thank God, Jesus, that he loves us and is patient with us. Uh, otherwise, the whole world would really never know who Jesus is because we'd still be on the mountain. Let's pick up our text right here, okay? We're in Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, verses 14. Verses 14 through 27. I'll be reading out of the New Living. Mark 9, verses 14 through 27. Say amen when you're there. All right. When they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them. And some teachers of religious law were arguing with them. When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe, and they ran to greet him. What is all the arguing about, Jesus asked. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He's possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy. But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him into the fire or into the water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean if I can? Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak, he said. I command you to come out of this child and to never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet, and he stood up. Powerful story. Powerful story. Down the mountain, Jesus walks down, immediately there's a crisis. This is why we don't go down the mountain. This is why we don't want to be down the mountain. Down the mountain, forces are hurting people, spiritually and physically. Down the mountain is a people that are desperate for help and in dire need of some kind of hope. You see, down the mountain, there are families hurting. There are children in need in whole cities that are faithless. Down the mountain, there is a ministry to be done. 
No doubt about it. If they never leave the mountain, then this child would have certainly died. Down the mountain, the world needs a born-again believer. I can't help but see the similarity, too, when I look at this of our time and their time, especially when I hear Jesus asking what all the arguing is about. Sound familiar these days? Hasn't humanity always been arguing amongst itself? It seems we've struggled from even the beginning to get along with each other. Why would ministry be any different? Arguing is a sign of pain. Now we argue because we're hurt. Now whether that's through an injustice towards us or someone else or whether we just desire to be right. We rarely argue outside of being hurt. (laughs) In this situation, they are arguing on how to heal this person and maybe if he can be healed at all. Now as a father, I I can't imagine having to watch my child seize up so violently to the point that they are hurting themselves or even worse, becoming suicidal. I, I mean, the pain the father must have felt. The the desperation I think about that it took to grab his child and forcibly take him on this journey to get him close to Jesus and then having to settle for his disciples because Jesus was on the mountain. Think about this. I've come to see Jesus, but Jesus can't be found. So I go and find the only people I can that are as close to possible as Jesus, which are his friends, his disciples. Can you imagine how the disciples felt now being approached? Can you imagine how powerless they felt when they begin to pray for this child to be healed and nothing happened? Can you imagine the pressure they must have felt? Well, you're not Je- I'm not Jesus. Yeah, but you're the one who hangs around him every day. You talk about him all the time. I came to you because nobody talks about Jesus as much as you do. A lot of pressure. Thank God Jesus came down the mountain. Thank God Jesus is on mission. And what is the mission of Jesus? Well, that's simple. He stated this in the very beginning. And listen, Jesus is still doing this ministry today. It's found in Luke 4. He says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the captives will be released and that the blind will see that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Jesus performs this then. He performs this now. Nothing changes. This is the mission of Jesus. Therefore, it is also the mission of his people, which makes it the priority of his church. Mountaintop experiences are great, and I hope all of you get to experience a mountaintop. But our purpose is to bring ministry to the valleys. That's what we're here to do. We're here to take that mountaintop experience that we've had with Jesus, that transfigured moment of our life where we became born-again believers and carry that now into the valley and share with them so that they might have a piece of the mountaintop also. This is our purpose, not just mine. Not just the pastors or the clergy. You also can pray and you can lay hands on someone just like I can. 
I can pray, and I can lay hands on someone, and we can all believe for them to be healed. This is the glory of Easter. That the same power that's resurrected Jesus Christ from the grave now lives and resides in me so that I can do all things through Him who lives in me. This is the glory of Easter. This is important because the world needs us to be what we say we are. Ambassadors of Christ. They come to us because Jesus is in heaven. They need to see Jesus on earth. And so they come to you just like they came to the disciples. You're the closest thing they are going to get to hope, to being Jesus before them. If we say we are his disciples, they are going to expect some things from us. After all, isn't that the case here? These hurting parents went looking for Jesus. The first people they meet are his disciples, which is the closest thing. We are the closest thing today. The church is God's embassy to the world and ultimately the place where Jesus resides. And if people can't find him here, where are they going to go? The mission must go forward. We must be our best because if we're not and when we're not, people continue to hurt people continue to lose hope so it's no wonder we see the frustration of Jesus at this point you can hear it in his words right you faithless people how long must I be with you how long must I put up with you bring the boy to me I can, it's almost as if I hear these words through my own father's voice as if I'm being scolded for a lack of belief or maybe just a lack of paying attention it's interesting to me how the New Living, however, translates this as Jesus said this remark towards the whole crowd, especially when the Greek, and if you, you really need to take a look at some of the words there, even other Bible translations are able to get this a little better. He makes it obvious that he wasn't directing this towards everyone. He was specifically saying this towards his own disciples. And that's the key. He was saying this not towards the crowd, but to the people who were his friends who followed him. How can, listen, unbelievers can't know how to heal something like this. They can't know how to do things. They haven't been with Jesus. How can they be expected to know? But you who call yourself a Christian or a disciple of Christ, you are expected to know. And the world is going to look to you to know. Maybe not yet, but sooner or later, they're going to come to you. And they're going to ask you, will you please pray for me? I need a miracle in my life. I need something to happen in my life. I, I need help. Will you pray for me? There's nowhere else they can go. They're going to look to you. And if nobody's asking you that, if nobody's asking you to pray for them, uh, it's time to look in the mirror. Something's wrong in your life. They're not seeing Jesus in you. They're not seeing the influence of Jesus within you. Even the apostles, after Jesus had died, the Pharisees looked upon them, and it's written over and over that they could tell they had been with Jesus. People can tell. It's more than just saying, I'm a Christian. We all know that. We all know that. And Jesus makes it clear here that this is all about a faith. This is a big faith problem. It's obvious to Jesus. Nothing is moved without faith. 
Nothing happens without faith. Even salvation is by faith. Faith is basically the spiritual currency of heaven. This evil spirit couldn't be removed because they lacked faith. I don't know if it's always this way, right? I can only attest for the moment we're reading in right now. I'm not going to make this a formula. You're not going to hear me preach a formula for everything. But I can say rightly here by Scripture that this is the case here. And maybe it's more than just faith being exercised by the one who is praying, but also the receiving end of the blessing to believe. In this way, faith collides in the middle, and there's this miracle. Let me explain it. I don't know if you're tracking with me here, but let me explain it. And I'm careful here because, guys, I don't want to lay down a formula or some theology for healing so that we can apply this every time and it just works. Or I guess I don't think walking with God is like that. I just don't think it works that way. However, in this exact moment, what we are witnessing is that one party must exercise the faith to heal and the other must exercise the ability to believe that it can be done. The consequences... For the two are the miracle that's in the middle. And maybe we should start to look at the conflict between the two and why there's issues on both sides of this. On one side, you have the disciples or those walking with Jesus on the ministry side of the coin, so to speak. And even though they've walked with Jesus, they're still struggling with their faith to believe in such things. So if it's, that's you this morning, uh, by the way, you're not alone. If you're struggling to believe, you're struggling to have faith in Jesus, you're not alone. So did his best friends. So did his best friends. Apparently, struggling in faith to believe things in Jesus just makes you a disciple of Jesus. <laughs> I hope, and listen, I hope this uh, scripture speaks to you because even those who physically walk with Jesus, they struggle in prayers also. I mean, though they walked with the Son of God, they too struggled and they wavered in faith from time to time. Eventually, Jesus would have to turn this into a whole learning lesson, all right, which he does with everything every time they mess something up. And he immediately tells them afterwards, it, it says that why, when they asked him, why couldn't we cast out the evil spirit? And he says, well, this kind can only be cast out by prayer and fasting, right? It has to be a learned experience for them. Well, how come we couldn't? Well, this is why. This is why. And what's nice about this is even when we fail, there are lessons to be learned. It's okay to fail. It's not the end of the world that you prayed and it didn't happen. I remember, I've told this story multiple times, but it works here too. There are sometimes we pray and I think we just, because we need to pray. I remember Merle Adams, my mentor, telling me a story about him going down the road and there was this very important thing that needed to happen and he was praying for it and praying for it and he was driving down the road for hours on, en route to a place and he goes, I had four hours just to sit there and pray and after three hours of praying, you know what God finally said to me? And I said, no. And he goes, Nothing. He said nothing. And I go, okay. He goes, you know what you're supposed to learn there? And I go, no. He goes, sometimes praying is just about learning to lean on God. Building your faith and knowing him. That the more I pray to him, the bigger he gets to me. The bigger he gets to me, the more comfort, the more joy, the more hope I have. Oh, he said, I change. My countenance began to change. God, never had, did, God didn't have to say a word. The presence of God was enough. Powerful, powerful, powerful. When we pray, our view of God grows and our faith in God grows. 
Now, if you combine that with fasting, which is the shrinking of our flesh and our ego, our pride, ourselves, our faith now is given fertile ground in which to cultivate a full ministry where miracles can be born. Praying builds up God, right? Our view of God. We, we, we are now in position where we are the humbled. He is the exalted. And as we continue to fast, all it does is shrink us even more so that God becomes bigger. God becomes bigger. Miracles can be born. People can be set free. But there's no easy road. Thus, that was the reason Jesus was uh, quick to tell us the count, uh, uh, the, to, to count the cost in following him. He would go on to say that the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. I think what's funny about that, we assume that's always the talk of heaven. Can I tell you, it's just the talk of the way. Serving Christ is difficult. It might be one of the hardest things I've ever had to do in my life. But I have disciplined myself and dedicated myself to love Jesus, to grow in Christ, and to become Christ to this world. Those on the receiving end now of the message, the scripture makes it clear. You must believe. Right? So we know that from the the disciples' side, they had to have the faith to be able to. They needed to pray. They needed to pray so that their view of God would be bigger. They needed to fast so they would think of themselves less. They would not let their flesh get in the way of that, right? But now this other party, Jesus makes it clear, you, you need to believe. Can I? Well, that just shows you your view of God. Oh, man, I believe God is everything God is that, but I don't think God could heal this, or I don't think God could do this, and I just don't think he would do this. Every time I think we talk like that, we really are making God into more of the image we want him to be. There's no easy side to anything here. We all believe, and I know we do, but we're also a lot like this father crying out, help me with my unbelief. Let's just be honest. All of us have been here. All of us relate to this. Oh, I believe in Jesus, but help me a little bit in my unbelief because there are times where I don't. There are times where I struggle. There are times where I just don't believe anything good is going to happen and I can't see God helping me in here. Right? And come on, it, 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 there's a reason why, too. Some of us, uh, we, we, I used to say that it's because we're realist. We're realist. Because the impossible, let's just be honest, it's kind of no short order, right? There are some things that are just hard for us to believe. How many of you have heard the story of the Red Sea parting, right? Hard to believe. Hard to believe an ocean is split by a tornado of fire holding back an army while the air somehow pulls the water back and it's dry enough to walk a million people across and God would, I mean, that sounds like an impossible story, but it's true. Or how about, or how about, um, People who've been blind all their life, and Jesus is just like, they've gone to physician after physician, the state-of-the-art medicine for back in that day, and Jesus just, just grabs to the ground, grabs some dirt, spits on his hand, and rubs it in their eye. By the way, that's what we do to our brothers and sisters when we're being mean, right? I mean, we don't think of that like, I'm about to heal your eyeball. Give me some dirt. I'm about to spit a good one on this piece of dirt, and I'm going to chunk it in your eye, and everything's going to be all right. That's not how it works. So it's hard for us to believe, like, Jesus just spits on the ground. He just puts that stuff right in their eye, and it comes to life. That's it. That's crazy stuff. 
right? If, if we were going to make a formula out of that, can you imagine going to that church? Can you imagine sitting in the church? Oh, you got an eye problem? Come here. Go get me some dirt outside. I'm about to spit in your eye and put some dirt in it. There's no churches that do this stuff. That's hard to believe. It's hard to believe that a man can simply just tell some demon to come out of a child, and then you literally see the countenance of this young child change before you. Those are hard things to believe. We believe, God, that you've done these things. But we kind of don't. We kind of have a hard time rationalizing because we don't understand how. I don't understand how. I don't, I, and because of that, it, we struggle. You know what I wonder also? I wonder if, if, if God did it different every time for just the sole reason of never letting us think there was some physical form to miracle work. I mean, there's people I know, man, they'll sell you books like crazy, and this is how you do it every time. This is all you got to do. You'll pray these prayers. You do these things, this is how your miracle's going to happen. And if it's not, it's your fault because it's surefire way. Not true. God did it different all the time. C.S. Lewis was really good at this. He figured that out early on. God does it different every time. There's no formula for this. There's no way that we just, like, if I just do one, two, three, four, miracle's going to happen. All that's left, and maybe the only constant in this whole thing, when we look at all the miracles is this. There's two, especially in New Testament. Jesus and faith. That's it. Those are the two constant in every miracle in the Gospels. Jesus plus faith gets you a miracle. That's it. Those are the only two constants in all the things. I'm not sure the physical stuff matters all that much. I really don't. I, there used to be a preacher, I don't know if you've heard of him, he was in a lot of the Pentecostal realm, named Smith Wigglesworth. I mean, back in the day, Smith Wigglesworth was known to do some crazy stuff. I mean, there were people who had like kidney issues or they would have like gallbladder issues and old Smith Wigglesworth would walk right up. He'd pray for them, punch them in the gut, <laughs> punch them in the gut. Woman, man, child. I mean, crazy stuff, right? By the way, documented healing. It happened. Can I tell you, he didn't hit everybody. But those stories are the ones people remember because that's like, that's bizarre. I think Smith Wigglesworth thought it too. I think in the moment, God said, hey, do this. Can you imagine the guy that went around trying to copy that ministry? He probably didn't last very long. I remember another story with Smith Wigglesworth. This is probably one of the craziest ones I've heard where they call him in. They said, Brother Wigglesworth, uh, 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 we, we have my dad here, he's, he's, he's not that old, but he's having some issues here. We think he's close to death, and, and we want you to come pray for him. And he says, I'll be right there. And, and another message is sent to him later on, and, and he says, brother, it's getting bad. It's critical. We need you right now. And he's like, I'm telling you, I'm coming. I'm coming. Just give me a few more minutes. And by the time the third message comes, they said, Pastor, or Brother Wigglesworth, he's, he's passed on. And, and so Brother Wigglesworth goes, all right, I'm, I'm coming right now. And so he shows up, and it's just like the funeral of this guy. He's laying in his bed. He's dead. And, Wiggles, and Brother Wigglesworth just goes right up to him, picks him up, goes, help me, picks him up, puts him up against the wall. By the way, I said he was dead, right? He's dead. There's no, like, question about it. He's dead. He's actually been dead for a few minutes. He puts him up against the wall, and he holds him up, and he says, in Jesus' name, walk. And when he lets go, that guy falls right on the floor. I mean, bam, hits it hard. 
Brother the Wiggles Lord picks him up again. I walk in the name of Jesus. He lets go of him, and he hits it again. I mean, he slams on the ground. Now, I'm, I'm about you. First time would have been done for me. I'm not going to lie. Help me with my unbelief. All right? Third time, he picks him up, and the guy just wakes up and walks. Document it. Document it. Wigglesworth is well known. I mean, like, I don't know why God works with certain people. You know what Wigglesworth used to be? Plumber. He wasn't born and raised in no seminary. You know what happened to him? His story about how he came to faith is he was laying on the bed. He had an appendicitis to the point that they thought it was like had bursted and there was not a good way to heal that back then. And he thinks he's going to die. And there was a little old lady that would come in and pray for him every night. And he's basically a young man in his 20s thinking, I'm going to die. And he said somebody came into the room, some other young man came into the room, stood over his bed and began to pray for him and call out to that appendicitis and begin to just pray and believe. And he was healed and it changed him. It changed him and he would go on to have this, I would call it a reckless ministry, but it was a wonderful ministry of healing people wonderful I, I don't i don't think there's a rhyme or a reason i don't think the key is what we do i think the key is who we know i think where faith and belief collide miracles happen that's what i think i think the scripture proves it here the lack of faith from the disciple and the lack of belief from the other person what is born from that nothing but with Jesus, all things are possible. All things are possible. <laughs> the irony of the idea of praying and fasting is that both of these are instrumental in the creation of a spirit-filled disciple of Jesus. And yet the overflow of such a commitment has the ability to set others free. I mean, with everything we've read today, just looking at what we've read today and what we've seen today, literally, if we, could, if we could just get to praying and fasting, the world would change. You wonder what's lacking in the church. Finances are not what's lacking in the church. Buildings and beautiful sites are not what's lacking in the church today. People are not what's lacking in the church today. Prayer and fasting is what's lacking in the church today. I am reminded of Ravenhill this morning that the praying man never sins and the sinning man never prays. That the church that isn't praying is playing. It is prayer that will change the world. It was prayer that will combine with belief that will create miracles and show the world something it's never seen before. That's all hard the stumbling block before all of us is unbelief can we believe can you believe that God could use you I remember Brennan Manning once saying this the, be the best weapon the devil has ever created is low self-esteem this idea or this thought in your head that somehow God would never use you is foolishness God uses the foolish things of this world. So if you have low self-esteem and you think yourself a fool, you are a prime candidate. Now, if you think highly of yourself, 
that's another story. When people ask me about preaching all the time, I'm not a great speaker. I'm the fool that God has put on display to somehow convince you that Christ is real. Christ must be real because if I'm up here preaching, he must be because I'm not smart enough. I don't have gifts and ability to allow me to do these things. Christ has given me these things. I wish I could say they were mine, but they're not. I didn't have these things. God gave me these things. I didn't know about, I haven't, I haven't like studied my whole life to do something like this. No, I, I did drugs and alcohol. I shouldn't have ended up here. I should have ended up dead. But Christ saw things differently. We struggle, though, with belief, low self-esteem. We keep telling ourselves that we're not worthy. We keep telling ourselves that there's no way God could use us. We keep telling ourselves that I could never pray for somebody and actually see a miracle. We keep telling ourselves until we just get beat up. We are beat up with unbelief. We believe, and yet we don't. Our mouths say that we believe, but in our heart there's doubt. It's normal. I mean, come on, even after the resurrection, the disciples struggled. The Bible's very clear that even after they saw him come back from the dead, they were like, and we're still struggling to believe he's Jesus, the, the whole Messiah and Christ. He came back from the dead. They, that's the second time they've seen that. Like the first time, maybe a fluke with Lazarus, all right? But the second time Jesus came back, mm, that's probably for real. I would think at that point you'd be like, okay, I'm done struggling with this. It's, he's serious. This is the Messiah. No, but the Bible tells the truth. The Bible says they struggled. If the disciples struggled, those who knew Jesus in the flesh, how much more are you going to struggle? How much more will you struggle? So let me encourage you this morning that even though the disciples weren't able to heal, didn't mean they didn't try. Hear, what, hear me. Even though they weren't able to pray and heal someone, doesn't mean that you do not try. And when it didn't work for them, they took it to Jesus. Today it's the same process. We're still trying and praying for a healing. And when we struggle to see the miracle, we're supposed to lean into Christ. We're supposed to pray. We're supposed to fast so we can continue to seek Him in understanding and our wisdom. And in that, we grow closer to Him so that not only is our faith increased, but our ability to believe is increased as well. And when faith collides with belief, it equals a miracle. Last story, and then I'm going to bring the worship up. We'll make it real quick here this morning. I, I remember this pastor, Brother Crabtree. He's an Assembly of God minister, older man. I don't know if he's passed on now. I think he might be. Uh, one of the things that I noticed about Brother Crabtree, uh, he was preaching one night at an Assembly of God meeting, and uh, in the meeting he began to talk about healing, and he was trying to tell these whole bunch of young ministers now coming out, uh, or were about to go into the ministry, and trying to prepare them for the doubt and for the lack of belief they're going to face, and the hardship of being young, and, and, and you're, you're gung-ho, you want to do something great for God, but you're also scared, and you're worried that God's not going to use you, and that low self-esteem coming back in and beating them up. He said, listen, I want to encourage you, encourage you to continue to lay hands on people. I want you to continue to believe God can heal people. 
He says, it's foolishness to me that we say, well, we hardly see anybody be healed anymore in the church, uh, so why do we keep praying like we do? Why do we continue to lay hands and believe God's going to do it when we rarely see it anymore? And he said, let me tell you, let's just talk logic. How many of you still go to a hospital when you're hurt? Do you know that more people die in a hospital than anywhere else? But yet we still go to the hospital, don't we? Where do you go when you want to be healed? The hospital. How much that? I mean, they always get it right, right? No, they don't. But you still go there, don't you? You still try. <laughs> you still seek medical advice. Well, listen, there are some things the medical world just can't do. There's some things they don't understand. Oh, see, the medical world, they would have already defined this child who is demon-possessed as uh, bipolar and simply having a fit. And uh, maybe they have taken some kind of poison or maybe they've ate the wrong thing. They would have diagnosed it as anything but demon possession. Jesus recognizes it immediately, calls it out, and it's done. Only spiritual eyes can see some things. Guys, and praying people have spiritual eyes. A praying people has spiritual eyes. I don't know if, 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 if I'm preaching to myself more in this message when I'm thinking about the low self-esteem, the lack of faith at times, and the unbelief. But guys, I hope you get, get a hold of this because the greatest comfort found in all of this passage is the simple fact that the disciples, those whom Jesus knew, who he was closest to, who he called his friends, and who would build the church, struggled also. They struggled to have the faith to believe they could lay hands. Now, come on, when they hit the book of Acts, we, we act like they just like hung the moon, like they'd been doing this their whole life. No, they were struggling before this. We see Peter as the great healer, and by the time we get into the book of Acts, we, we forget all the times that he gets in trouble. Man, Peter, man, he just healed people. It's like shadow healed people. Yeah, but he also was a little bit racist, struggled with Gentile folks. I mean, he also had to be rebuked by Paul because of it. He also was called the devil by Jesus. Like, if that stuff don't comfort you, I don't know what does. I make mistakes all the time, and the whole time I'm going, I can't believe you love me, Jesus. I'm like some wayward kid with you, like some stray you took in, and you're treating like I'm just one of the, your own kids. Praise God for adoption, because I have been adopted into the kingdom, amen? <laughs> amen on that one. Let's, when we get ready to worship this morning, I'm only focused on two things this morning, faith and belief. And when we begin to cry out to Jesus this morning, that's what we're crying out for, the faith to believe, the faith to believe. Amen? Let's worship this morning. sir. Thank you, sir. Father, we give you praise this morning. And even in the chaos, we know you're here with us. And so I pray that as we worship you this morning, that the words of these songs would line up with our heart. 
And where they don't, I pray you intervene, Lord. That you would help us. Help us in the chaos. Help us in the craziness. Remind us who you are, Father. How you always take care of us. How you're always stretching us and growing us so that we can be more like you. To get to the place where we can love others like you love others. So Lord, this morning we lay ourselves down before you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. 